Praise the Lord for his goodness to us, even with all of the rain and a storm that we didn't know was coming, some of us, um, we're all here and we praise God for his mercies to us. It's good to have the, I think the whole White family with us this morning. It's good to see you, brother, and your family. Amen. It's good to have visitors with us in the back. May the Lord bless you and be with you and encourage you today. Let us turn in our Bibles to Revelation chapter 4. Revelation chapter 4. I want to speak on a throne in heaven. A throne in heaven. I'm going to ask you to stand with me as we read Revelation chapter 4, me reading aloud, you reading silently. This is God's holy word. After this I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was as it were of a trumpet talking with me which said, Come up hither, and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. And immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. And he that sat was to look upon like a jasper and a sardine stone, and there was a rainbow round about the throne in sight like unto an emerald. And round about the throne were four and twenty seats. And upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders sitting, clothed in white raiment, and they had on their heads crowns of gold. And out of the throne proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices. And there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was a sea of glass like unto crystal. And in the midst of the throne and round about the throne were four beasts, full of eyes before and behind. And the first beast was like a lion, and the second beast like a calf, and the third beast had a face as a man, and the fourth beast was like a flying eagle. And the four beasts had each of them six wings about him, And they were full of eyes within, and they rest not day and night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. And when those beasts give glory and honor and thanks to him that sat on the throne, who liveth forever and ever, the four and twenty elders fall down before him that sat on the throne And worship him that liveth forever and ever, and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. Amen. Amen. You may be seated as we go before the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for your precious and holy word. How we praise you, Father, that there is a throne in heaven. And how we pray, O God, that the Spirit would work 
in our minds and in our hearts this morning as we contemplate this glorious passage of your word that the Spirit would illuminate our minds and our hearts, that the Spirit of God would impress this truth upon our hearts. For, O Lord, if you do not speak this morning, we will have been here in vain. So, O God, speak to our hearts. Give us grace to hear your voice. Give us grace to hear what the Spirit has to say to the churches. This is the inspired and holy word that you have given to John of old, and have passed down to us in our language, and how we pray that you would impress it upon our minds and our hearts. Bless your people to apply this truth in our lives, we ask in Jesus' precious and holy name, and bless (coughs) Pastor Simmons as he moves on to Mount Carmel Baptist Church to preach at their anniversary. We pray that you would bless and use him. And anoint your word with power, we ask in Jesus' precious name, amen. 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 We're thankful for Pastor Simmons coming and leading in worship and doing such a uh, sacrificial work, considering that he's rushing through the rain to get to another church to preach. Amen. Amen. What do you do? When everything is falling apart, what do you do when, when great calamities come into your life? What, what do you do when it seems that everything around you is just crumbling and falling apart? What, where do you turn? What, where do you look? What, what do you need to think about when it seems like Mysterious things are happening, and the world seems out of control. Well, God has given us a revelation, and we don't have to try to figure that out. But God has given us a revelation of what we need when everything seems to be falling apart. He's given us a picture, and he's given us a picture of a throne in heaven. And he's given it to us in a, in a beautiful image, in a, in a, in a beautiful uh, pictorial manner. God has given us what we need to hear when everything seems to be falling apart. And I believe that we need that as a church today. We need to see that God is seated upon a throne, that God is in control of everything that's happening and that there are no surprises, and that there are no accidents, and the government's not in control of it all, and the governments of the world are not in control of it all, and the World Economic Forum is not in control of it all, the United Nations is not in control of it all, and you and I, thankfully, are not in control of what is happening But we have a sovereign God who is in control of everything. Well, I grew up in a world of pictures, and I love pictures. My father was an artist, and he painted oil paintings, landscapes primarily. He painted in acrylic, and he painted in uh, watercolors. 
And I grew up as a small boy with a father who was an artist. And that defined my dad. He was an artist in everything he did. He drew every day of his life, as far as I know, unless he was sick on a sick bed and he couldn't, couldn't do it. He was committed to artwork. And so we had paintings all over the house. We had paintings on every wall in the house. We had paintings on the floor in the house. We had paintings everywhere. And paintings were always coming into the house, and paintings were always going out to the galleries where he sold his work. When I was a teenager, he became a, a full-time artist. He left his job as an uh, architectural draftsman, and he went into full-time painting. And the Lord blessed it, and he raised his family as an artist. <clears throat> now, that's a very unusual thing. And I think that's one of the reasons why I love pictures in the Bible. And the book of Revelation doesn't just intrigue me because it's tantalizing prophetic truth, um, which, is, which is okay. Um, <clears throat> there are some who go too far with prophecy. But I love the book of Revelation because in the book of Revelation, we have pictures of truth and reality. The pictures themselves aren't what you would necessarily see when you get to heaven, okay? But they are revelations to the Apostle John that we can look at. A good example of that is that Christ probably will not have a sword coming out of his mouth in heaven when you see him. He will not have the appearance necessarily of a lamb with all of the horns and, and, and appearing as one who was just recently slain, but he will be the man, Christ Jesus, seated upon the throne. <clears throat> but John had that revelation, and he had revelations of Christ that, that teach us truth about Christ. And God has given us a glorious picture of himself seated upon the throne. And what God is telling us is that he is in absolute sovereign control of everything that happens. That God is seated upon a glorious throne in heaven. And he rules and he reigns everywhere all the time. And he never relaxes his reign. He is always in control. Well, the Revelation, the book of Revelation, begins with a vision of Christ in chapter 1. I'm just going to give you an overview all the way up to chapter 4, where we're at, and very brief. But in chapter 1, John is given a revelation of Jesus Christ. Christ, in all of his glory, is the first thing that John sees. Now, John, when he was with Christ in his humiliation, in his form as a man on earth, he rested his head on Jesus' bosom and, and was, was affectionately drawn to Christ. The picture that he has of Christ in the Revelation causes him to fall down on his face as dead because the Revelation is so powerful. And the Lord has to touch him and 
he has to rise <coughs> through that power. But the revelation begins with a vision of Christ. Christ is preeminent in the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation begins with the most important person and the most important thing in all of history. That is the Lord Jesus Christ. He made the world. The world was made for him. The world was made through him. And all things will come to him in praise and honor and glory. He's the beginning and the end. The entire universe was made by him and for him. He's the center of all redemptive history and of all time, matter, and space and created life. He is the one who shines forth in the book of Revelation as the preeminent one. Revelation begins where? With Christ. And then Revelation goes on <coughs> to, to Christ in, in, in John's vision of Christ with, <coughs> with stars in his hands, the seven stars, and the seven golden lampstands, and those stars are representative of the messengers or angels of the churches, and then the lampstands themselves are representative of the churches, and in chapters 2 and 3, you have the letters that are given directly from Christ to John for the seven churches of Asia. And so we see Christ first in Revelation, and we see the churches second in Revelation. Because Christ is preeminent, and in the mind of Christ, the church is all important, because she is his bride. And he came to redeem her, he came to, to purchase her, and he came to save her from his sins, and now he's purifying her, and she is all important to him. And so you have the letters. Not visions so much, not, not pictures so much, but you have the letters directly given by Christ to the seven churches of Asia. And that's how Revelation begins. And that is the first section of Revelation. If you divide it into seven sections, that is the very first section of the book of Revelation. And then we come to the second section, which actually begins with a vision and that is a vision of a throne. It is the, a vision that shows us that God is seated upon a throne. <clears throat> that God is, is the sovereign ruler over all. That he is in control of all things. He rules and reigns over all. And there are no accidents God is sovereign. This is what Daniel spoke of in Daniel chapter 4 and verses 34 and 35. Daniel chapter 4 and verse 34. <clears throat> and these are the words of Nebuchadnezzar after the Lord had restored him to his kingdom. He said, And at the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up mine eyes unto heaven, and mine understanding returned unto me, and I blessed the Most High. And I praised and honored him that liveth forever, 
whose dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom is from generation to generation. And all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing, and he doeth according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand or say unto him, What doest thou? God is the sovereign ruler over all. And it took a heathen king to be reproved by God and to crawl on the earth like a beast and to be restored and to speak these glorious words. John needed this vision. John needed this vision of the throne. He was on Patmos for the word of God in Revelation chapter 1 and verse 9. John says, I, John, who also am your brother and companion in tribulation and in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was on the isle that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. And we know that Patmos was a prison island. John was in prison. John was a prisoner. And John was being persecuted and imprisoned for preaching the word of God for the testimony of Jesus Christ. John needed this vision. John on the Isle of Patmos needed to see that Christ was was on the throne, that God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit were there ruling and reigning in heaven. As difficult as it might be for those who are in martyrdom and those, those who are being chased by the evil men of the world, as difficult as it may be, God is still on the throne. God is still in charge. God is ruling, and God is reigning. And he is after the preeminence of Christ and the good of the church. Christ is the beginning and the end, and the church is the focus of Christ. And that is what is important to him. And John needed to see that. The persecuted church of his day needed this vision. In Revelation chapter 2 and verse 10, the Lord is speaking to his church at Smyrna, and he says in chapter 2 verse 10, Fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, that ye may be tried, and ye shall have tribulation ten days, Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. And so the Lord is even telling the church that some of them will be cast into prison to be tried, and that they would have tribulation ten days. Be faithful unto death. The Lord is in control. God is sovereign over all. The church throughout history has constantly needed this vision. The church throughout history has constantly needed this reminder that God is sovereign upon his throne, that he's ruling and reigning over all. We need this vision in our present day. We need this vision. We need to close our minds to all of the fear and all of the trembling of the world around us And we need to set our minds on the reality that God is in control of everything. That he's sovereign. He's ruling. And he's reigning every moment 
of every day throughout your whole life, God will be reigning. No matter what they do to you, (laughs) God is ruling and reigning upon the throne. And he will exalt his son and he will build up his church no matter what is happening in this world today. God, God is not so concerned about America per se. God is not so concerned about the United States Constitution and whether it is violated or not. God says nothing in his word about America. God says nothing in his word about our Constitution. As much as we love our country and we have loved our Constitution, God is not on the throne for America or for our Constitution. He's on the throne for the glory of Christ and the good of his church. And we need to see that. We need to have that clearly in our minds that that God is is building a people. The whole book of Revelation is about this, that God is going to judge Satan and the beast and the false prophet and the wicked, whatever they represent, these, these creatures. God is going to judge all evil, and God is going to bring a glorious bride to his son. And there's going to be a glorious marriage supper of the Lamb. And we are going to spend eternity in a new heavens and a new earth with him. And it's glorious. And that's what he's about. And whether we're cast in prison or whether all the nations of the world fall prey to some evil philosophy, we have a God who's ruling and reigning. And we don't need to worry about the things that are happening. We can do our part in the world in which we live but we need to trust our great and mighty God. <clears throat> the vision of chapter 4 prepares us for all that unfolds in all of the outworking of God's plan and purpose in history from John's moment to the end of time. <clears throat> if we're going to make sense out of the book of Revelation, there are judgments, there are the seven seals, There are the seven trumpets. There are the seven vials or bowls of wrath. And there are judgments upon uh, the beast and the false prophet and Satan and the, the great harlot. And all of these things are there. How are we going to make sense of all the calamities and all the things that are happening in our world? It's by seeing in chapter 4 that God is seated upon the throne. He wanted us to see Christ. He wanted us to to see that the church was in the eye of Christ, and he wants us to have our eyes fixed upon him, upon the throne. Hallelujah. Well, let us go to Revelation chapter 4. John sees a door opened in heaven. After this I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven. Behold, a door opened was opened in heaven. This is a picturesque way in which God reveals what we cannot see from our earthly perspective. The center of the universe is not earth. The center of the universe is not the sun, 
although physically we may argue back and forth whether the sun or the earth are the center. It is not anywhere where you can send a spacecraft or see with a telescope, but the center of this universe is here in chapter 4. It is the throne of God in heaven. John had the privilege of seeing an open door. It's a mysterious door. Can you imagine going outside, young people, imagine going out and seeing a door opened in heaven. Now, sometimes we see clouds shaped like animals, and sometimes we see different figures in the sky, in the clouds, but John actually saw a door in heaven and it was open. It's a mysterious door. It's a picturesque way of inviting John to see a great secret that is hidden to the world. The world doesn't see this, but John has the unspeakable privilege of entering through that door and seeing what's inside that door. And as we read, we enter the door with John. As he goes in, we go with him in the scriptures. John was called up to heaven by the living Christ. In chapter 4, verse 1, he says, And the first voice which I heard was, as it were, of a trumpet talking with me, which said, Come up hither, and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. And so John said, The first voice which I heard was, as it were, of a trumpet talking with me, And he's referring back to Revelation chapter 1 and verse 10, where it says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day and heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet. And that was the trumpet voice that John heard. And that trumpet voice said, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. And John was hearing Christ speak to him in chapter 1 and in chapter 4. Christ himself speaks to John in that trumpet voice, and he says, Come up hither, and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. John was called up to heaven by the living Christ. This vision is no small matter. This vision was trumpeted by the voice of Christ, just as the vision of Christ himself was trumpeted by the voice of Christ. This vision is on equal ground with the vision of Christ, because it is a further vision of God and of Christ upon the throne, of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit ruling in heaven over all creation in all of time and in all of history. So John is called to do something that he cannot do in his natural body and state as a man. God has called John to come up to that door in heaven. John cannot do that in his own power and strength. But the Lord makes provision for John in verse 2, 
And it says, and immediately I was in the spirit and behold, a throne was set in heaven and one sat on the throne. Immediately the Lord calls and the Lord empowers and John is in the spirit and John is seeing into that door. Perhaps, Perhaps John could say with Paul, Whether in the body or out of the body, I cannot tell. All that we are told here is that he was in the Spirit. The Spirit took control. And we need that same Holy Spirit even now as we preach and as we hear God's Word. We do not necessarily have the same experience of John in the the fullness and power of the Spirit as he had it. He was in the Spirit, and we can't really explain what that means except for the fact that he was in the Spirit. But we must have the illuminating grace and power of the Spirit to understand the truth that we're seeing and and reading about and the picture that's set before us this morning. Oh, that God the Holy Spirit would minister to our hearts in that way. It is not with the natural mind that you will walk out of here this morning with a perspective that will change the way you view everything that's happening around you. It is by the power of God's Word illuminated by the Holy Spirit. So we are no less dependent upon the Holy Spirit to see this great revelation than was John who was called up and could not come up in his own natural strength. May God so bless us to hear. Then John sees a throne set in heaven and a wonderfully occupied throne at that. In verse 2, Immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. The first sight, To meet the eyes of the beloved apostle was a throne set in heaven. We're not told much about the surroundings of what John saw. But John saw a throne set in heaven. And that throne was prominent. That throne was what what captured John's attention immediately as he looks in the door, as it were, as he's caught up in the Spirit and, and he's in the Spirit, he sees a throne set in heaven. We need to see that throne. In our minds and in our hearts, we need to see that there is a throne in heaven. We need to see it. We need to see that God is in sovereign control of all things. The sovereign God of heaven and earth sits and governs all things. There is a supreme ruler over all in heaven. There is a king reigning as sovereign over all. In that Psalm 146 that Pastor Clarence just read, it talks about the king reigning, and he is reigning over all. There is a prayer hearing God on the throne of grace. There is a great judge seated in heaven 
not merely a judge, but one who will judge all. There is a throne. Well, John is seeing a picture. He's seeing a figurative vision. And God has recorded it for us, his people. He has inspired this revelation for you and I to see it with eyes of faith. We don't <clears throat> see it exactly as John saw it, but we have the same Holy Spirit, we have the same Word of God, and we can see this throne by faith. May God enable us to see that throne. Well, when you hear the daily news, don't forget this throne. When the world seems to be losing touch with reality, remember this throne. When trials assail you, remember this throne. When afflictions come your way, remember this throne in heaven. The throne of God appears 39 times in the book of Revelation. I know the word throne appears more times in the book of Revelation. Because even the seats that the 24 elders are sitting upon are actually the Greek word thronos, which is the word throne, which we're looking at here as in, in context with God's throne. It is a major element of this book. The throne of God is a major element in the book of Revelation. <clears throat> if you miss this point, you will have missed what is the most important truth in the book of Revelation, that God is always seated upon his throne. The throne is mentioned 17 times in chapters 4 and 5. The throne is mentioned 12 times in chapter 4, where there are only 11 verses. The throne of God is mentioned so much in the Revelation. We shouldn't get lost in the details of this picture. <clears throat> when my dad would show us a painting, he would come in the house with a new painting, and he would set it on the floor, and he didn't want you to get too close to it because you would see the details. He didn't want you to see the details. I was looking at one of his paintings uh, yesterday on the wall, and I got up real close, and I, I thought, he used a brush here, but he used a knife here. My dad loved to use knives and brushes at the same, in the same painting and glazing techniques. <clears throat> but, but we shouldn't be, be caught up with the details. My dad would have us stand back to see the painting from afar because that's when you could see the whole picture in, in all of its beauty. <clears throat> we shouldn't get lost in the details there are a lot of interesting details about this throne. You can really get caught up in, in the identity of the four living creatures. I know the King James says beasts. The Greek word is zoe. Zoe means living ones or living creatures. That's what they are. The word beasts in our, in our day has kind of a, a, a negative connotation. We think of something grotesque. But these are beautiful creatures that John sees who are alive around the throne. But let's not get caught up in all the details. We're going to look at some details. We have to look at the details. But the details should be seen in context with the big picture that we're seeing here. 
<clears throat> this is a picture, it is a vision, a revelation of deeper realities in figurative form. And I hope you can see that. I hope you can see that, that the picture of Christ in Revelation chapter 1 is not the Christ you will see when you get to heaven or when he comes through the clouds in glory. It is a picture of who Christ is as the revelator, as the one who brings judgment with that sword coming from his mouth. And, and there are so many things that can be said about the, the details. <clears throat> but here we have a throne in heaven, and we need to see everything in context with that throne. Well, John describes the one seated upon the throne and the surroundings of the throne. John is not seeing God as he is in all of his splendor. He is seeing a true vision of God, a vision of sovereign majesty upon a throne, ruling and reigning over all, and that's the picture that God wants us to see. And so in chapter 4, John saw a throne set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. And then he goes on in verse 3 <clears throat> to tell us what was the appearance of that one who sat upon the throne. And he that sat was to look upon like a jasper and a sardine stone. He that sat was to look upon like a jasper and a sardine stone. Now, I'm not going to confuse you with the many opinions of commentators on the exact identity of these stones. The commentators can't even agree on what actually a sardine stone or a jasper stone are. The commentators are even in disagreement as to their exact physical identity. And what they represent is something very, very confusing if you look at all the commentaries. They can't agree on their natural identity, much less on what they signify. But these are precious stones. Let's begin there. One may be a diamond because this same stone is mentioned later in the book as being clear as crystal. Even though we may not be able to exactly identify these stones, one may be a diamond. One may be a ruby. But one thing we know about these stones, they are precious stones. And precious stones are rich and rare, and beautiful. Our God upon the throne is rich, and rare, and utterly beautiful. We may be missing some of the significance. I may not be seeing all that is there, and perhaps there are others who've seen more clearly, but one thing we can say about the one who is seated upon the throne that he is represented by beautiful, precious jewels. 
and he himself is rich and rare and utterly beautiful. John cannot see God, for no man can see God and live. But John can see a picture of God, as it were, a representation of God in the form of jewels and the beauty and the richness and the rareness of those jewels. Well, the attributes of God are precious, like these precious stones that are mentioned. And the attributes of God are there in the person of God seated upon the throne. John is seeing the truth about God in a picture. His attributes shine brightly from the throne. All of them gloriously shine forth from the throne. His attributes are radiantly lovely. And his attributes are of priceless value. His precious love and goodness and mercy and grace are jewels to the saints. And there, the one who is seated upon that throne is ruling and reigning over all as the God of grace, the God of love, the God of mercy. And he is always the God of grace. And he is always the God of love. And he is always the God of mercy who is seated upon that throne. As he reigns, he is always consistent with all of his attributes. He is the immutable God. He never changes. And that is why his faithfulness is so precious because it never changes. He makes a promise in the beginning of time that the seed of the woman would crush the serpent's head and he fulfills it. He makes promise to Abraham that his seed would be as the stars of heaven and he fulfills it. He makes promise to Noah that there would be a bow in the clouds and that he would show mercy and peace and that he would never destroy the whole earth again and he keeps his promise. He makes promise to to Moses that there would be a prophet after him and he keeps his promise. He makes a promise to David that David would never lack a son to sit upon the throne and he raises up, God raises up his own son in David's lineage to sit upon the throne and he's always faithful. And his attributes are radiantly beautiful. His holiness is precious. He is holy, holy, holy. He is the thrice holy God, the Holy Father, the Holy Son, and the Holy Spirit. And he is ever holy and perfect in his holiness. His justice is precious. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. God would be unjust not to forgive you your sins on the basis of Christ's finished work and person on the cross of Calvary. God would be unjust not to forgive you your sins because he has applied the blood to you. And how glorious that is. His omniscience, he knows all things, and his omnipotence, he has all power, are precious to the saints. He is majestic. He is all-wise. What a glorious God we have upon the throne. Don't forget that, that our God is represented by rich and rare and precious, beautiful, lovely stones on the throne. 
He reigns consistent with his attributes. Verse 3 and the latter part of the verse says, And there was a rainbow round about the throne in sight like unto an emerald. A rainbow round about the throne in sight like unto an emerald. There is a 360 degree rainbow encircling the throne. I said to Pastor Clarence last Wednesday after he preached that I was going to preach on this subject and that I was going to tell you that God is seated upon the throne and there is a rainbow reminiscent of Noah's rainbow representing the mercy of God and the peace of God and that when God looks out from that throne, he sees through that rainbow and he has eyes of mercy toward sinful creatures such as we are. And that we sinful creatures are now looking at the throne of God through that rainbow of mercy. God sees the rainbow and we see the rainbow. And Pastor Clarence said, that'll preach. (laughs) So I had to remember that. And it preaches to my heart. It preaches to my heart that God, seated upon that throne in heaven, ruling and reigning over all, is a God of mercy and a God of grace. No matter what is happening, there's grace and there's mercy mixed into it. As Pastor Clarence so aptly preached that when God brings judgment, he mingles mercy. And there's always mercy coming from God. Hallelujah. We praise his holy name. Well, this is reminiscent of Noah's covenant rainbow promising peace. God's throne is a throne of mercy and peace. There is no assault upon this throne. It knows only peace. And it sends forth mercy and peace. Amen. Amen. And then we see another part of John's vision, and that is that John sees 24 elders around the throne in verse 4. And round about the throne were 24 and 20 seats, and upon the seats, which is the word thrones, I saw four and twenty elders sitting clothed in white raiment, and they had on their heads crowns of gold. I won't disturb you with the commentators who think that that we're talking about something else. I I think one of the commentaries I read was looking at the twenty-four elders as the word of God, okay? I'm not going to mock a dear brother in the Lord who who sees something different, but I can't see anything beyond the saints of God in in this scripture. Now, that's me personally. It's my opinion. You're entitled to your opinion. But John sees 24 seats, and upon these seats, 24 elders sitting clothed in white raiment. It is the saints of God in Revelation who are clothed in white raiment, in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. 
and they had on their head crowns of gold. And so the Lord crowns his people. He gives them grace. And then he gives them grace to work for him and to serve him and to minister to him. And then he rewards them for what he gave them grace to do. And they have those crowns upon their heads. And these are the crowns that they throw at his feet. I was thinking about these things and I was taking a walk. And I began to pray, oh God, give me a little crown of gold. Give me just a little crown of gold, not because I want to have a crown on my head, but a little crown of gold that when the saints cast down their crowns, I may cast down this little crown of gold at thy feet. I want a crown of gold. All the saints of God will be crowned and cast their crowns at his feet because of his great mercy and grace in their lives. And so I do believe that we're looking at the redeemed of all ages because there were the 12 tribes and there were the 12 apostles and 12 plus 12 is 24 and there are 24 elders representing the church throughout all ages. Clothed in white raiment, the righteousness of Christ, crowned with crowns of gold and seated around the throne where Christ says, we will be seated with him. Well, we can say that God is not a loner, but that God wants a people with him in glory. God desires relationship with sinners redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. God is not a loner. He redeemed us for himself. He wants us with him. He wants us to reign with Christ in white robes of Christ's righteousness with crowns of gold upon our heads, crowns that we can throw before his feet and honor and glorify him throughout eternity. So no matter what's happening around us, keep this picture in your mind, that this is the ultimate reality of where God has his people. The redeemed of the ages round about his throne in our glorified position with him. Then we see in verse 5 that John sees lightning and hears thunder and voices from the throne. And out of the throne proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices. What is this? What is this lightning and thunder coming from the throne? This is a revelatory throne. God is not silent who sits upon the throne. Here we have a picture reminding us of Sinai and the fear of God. He is a righteous God who is to be feared. He is perfectly righteous. He will pour out his wrath upon the wicked. And all of the remainder of the book of Revelation is about the judgments of God upon a wicked world and upon the evil one, and upon the demons, and upon all the leaders who defy Christ and his people, God will pour out his wrath on the wicked. He will do it in the earth throughout this book. He will do it at the great white throne of judgment. He is a righteous and a holy God. 
This lightning and thunder are real images to stir us to consider the reality that God judges from his throne in unapproachable power and justice and majesty. We thank God for his mercy, but we also thank him for his wrath. Because he is not a God who will tolerate unbelief and all of the wickedness that is in this world. Then John sees seven lamps or torches of fire burning before the throne. In verse 5, we read, And there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Now we need to see that that we we are being given a portrayal, a picture of spiritual realities. We are seeing spiritual realities here. We are not seeing an exact description of the Holy Spirit, but we are being given a picture. John is seeing these seven lamps or torches of fire burning before the throne, and we are told which are the seven spirits of God. God the Spirit is there burning as the sevenfold perfect Spirit who sat upon the apostles at Pentecost in tongues of fire. This is a picture of the Holy Spirit. The number seven denotes perfection. He is ever burning, but never losing radiance and never extinguished. The Spirit is always illuminating and giving light. We see the same in chapter 5, verses 6 and 7. And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne and of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb, as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. I'm reading that so that you will consider that this is a picture. This is not the exact representation of the person of the Holy Spirit. But this is something that's true about him and something that's true about the Lamb, Christ himself. You don't see Christ as he is in his humanity with seven horns and seven eyes. You don't see that. When you, are, when you see Christ coming in his glory you will see the glorified man, Christ Jesus. But these are pictures of Christ. These are pictures of of truth and reality about Christ and about the Holy Spirit. And we need to see that. So we see the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are all together in this vision. The Father represented by the stones in their richness and their beauty. We see the Spirit who is shining forth. We see Christ in the rainbow, if you will. We see Christ in chapter 5 as the revelation of God upon the throne flows into 
um, the lamb seated, the lamb who, who, who appears and who is worthy to take the scroll out of the hand of the one seated upon the throne. And so we have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Well, now in verse 6, John sees a sea of glass before the throne. And before the throne, there was a sea of glass like unto crystal. And in the midst of the throne and round about the throne were four beasts full of eyes behind and before. Well, let's look at the sea of glass for a moment. What is this sea of glass? I'm not sure. I'm not absolutely sure. But I do know that this sea of glass is the foundation of the throne. And I do know that in Psalm 97 and verse 2, righteousness and judgment are the habitation, which can be translated basis or foundation of thy throne. Perhaps we have a picture here of God's righteousness and God's judgment before the throne. There's another picture of the throne and the saints of God are standing on that sea of glass mingled with fire. The saints of God are on that glass mingled with fire before the throne. In Revelation chapter 15 and verse 2. And they are worshiping God. And then John sees four living creatures in the midst of and around the throne in verses 6 through 8. And before the throne, a sea of glass, and in the midst of the throne and round about the throne were four living creatures, four beasts, full of eyes before and behind. And the first beast was like a lion, and the second beast like a calf, and the third beast had a face as a man, and the fourth beast was like a flying eagle, and the four beasts had each of them six wings about him. And they were full of eyes within. And they rest not day and night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. John sees four living creatures. Now, what are these creatures? Again, some older commentators thought they were the four Gospels. Some of them thought they were other things. But the number four corresponds with the four corners of the earth and the four winds and the north, the south, the east, and the west. And the creatures are earth creatures because they have faces and and bodies of earth creatures a lion a calf a man and a flying eagle and so they can represent creation itself or as some expositors and i read an older expositor years ago who 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 put this forth They may signify the sovereign providence of God in creation. Now, these are pictures. You're not going to heaven to see these creatures with these faces, but they represent 
creation, and they correspond with the four corners of the earth, and they are worshiping God. And they may signify God's sovereign providence in creation. They have many eyes to see what God is doing. The lion is majestic. The ox is strong. Man is intelligent. The the eagle is swift and has penetrating eye. All of these qualities are found in creation, and they are portrayed in God's sovereign providence in creation. And they are always praising God. They are always seeing what God is doing. They are always seeing God and all of his works, and they are praising him, just as creation in the book of Psalms praises God. And the providence of God provokes us to praise him. They are always praising. The providence of God is always declaring God's glory. And the result of of these creatures worshiping God is that the redeemed join them in worshiping God. And as we see God in his great works of providence, we praise him for all that he is and all that he's doing. We praise our great and mighty God. He's the center of our focus. He's the center of our attention. And we praise him. And so, John goes on to say in verse... Number nine, verse number eight. And the four beasts had each of them six wings about him. They were full of eyes within, and they rest not day and night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. And when those beasts give glory and honor and thanks to him that sat on the throne who lives forever and ever, the four and twenty elders fall down before him that sat on the throne and worship him that liveth forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast created all things and for thy pleasure. They are and were created. What is the result of God's working in the earth? What is the result of God's providence in the earth? And what do the 24 elders and the four creatures do? They worship God. We may be mistaken about the identity of the four creatures. But let us take note of one thing for sure. They are worshiping God. And let us join the 24 elders and worship God. What can we say to all of this? The sovereignty of God upon his throne is the key that unlocks the book of Revelation. It is the key to understanding life in a fallen world. It is the key to understanding how we should view life when everything is going the wrong way around us. God is on his throne. 
there's comfort in knowing that there are no accidents on planet Earth. There are no accidents. There are providences, and God is working, and God is working in and through everything. God is on his throne. He's saving his people from that throne. He is working from that throne in heaven. So, Brother Frank, does God control everything, everywhere, all the time? We have a little tract, a little booklet in the back, Does God Rule Everything, by Mr. Dent, back, I think, from the 1600s. Yes, God is in absolute control, and nothing ever happens apart from his control. Any other alternative is rank heresy. God is in absolute control. Satan and demons and sinful men are not in control of this world. The ones in political office today are not in sovereign control of this world. Satan, with all of his demonic powers and force, Satan is not in control of this world. But God is in sovereign control. He holds every molecule together. Every atom that composed the bodies of all of the wicked men of this world are held together by the sovereign control of God. They move where God wants them to move. I am not saying that God is the author of sin. I am not saying that God does not answer prayer. He does. Do we pray freely? And does God hear us? Yes, but he's in sovereign control. Can I understand that? I cannot understand that. How can it be that God is in complete control of all things and men will stand before God in the judgment? I may not understand it, but I'm responsible for my deeds. And God is in sovereign control. Amos chapter 3 verse 6 says, Shall there be evil in a city, and the Lord hath not done it? Not moral evil, but the evil of, of circumstance, the evil of calamities and difficulties and trials in the earth. Hurricanes and tornadoes and wars and sicknesses and plagues. Shall there be that kind of evil in a city? <coughs> And the Lord hath not done it? No, but the Lord is in control. When disaster happens anywhere, God is still in control. If you understood the implications of any other kind of world, you would live in mortal terror. But this one who is seated upon the throne, about whom... There is this glorious rainbow of mercy and peace and whose attributes are faithfulness and goodness and mercy and grace. He is in control. The Christian who knows God can say, and we know, and we know, and we know that all things 
work together for good. To them that love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. And the Christian can say, For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not, and the word look is focus, while we focus not on the things that are seen, but on the things that are not seen. For the things that are seen are temporal, but the things that are not seen are eternal. And so we walk by faith and not by sight. And we walk by faith in the God who is seated upon that throne. We walk by faith in the God who is exalting his son, Jesus Christ, in chapter 1 of Revelation. The God who, who, whose son is focusing upon his bride in chapter 2 and chapter 3. The same God who, <clears throat> who in the end of Revelation brings the bride, the glorious bride from heaven to that great and wonderful marriage supper of the Lamb. We have a great and a mighty God. No matter what happens, God is in control and he will fulfill his glorious promises. He was in control at creation. He was in control when man fell into sin. He was in control in the days of Noah and the flood. He was in control in the days of Abraham. He was in control in the days of Moses. He was in control in the Davidic kingdom. He was in control in the days of Christ. He was in control in the early church. He has been on his throne throughout church history. He is calling out his church, not favored nations, but his church. He raises up nations and he casts down sinful nations. Sin is a reproach to any people, and God casts down nations. Can you say with the songwriter, whatever my God ordains is right? One of my graders sent me that, the first stanza of that hymn this week. He's having heart troubles again. He's had operations already, and he wrote, on the email, whatever my God, whate'er my God ordains, is right. No matter what happens around us, do not be afraid. Our immutable God is on the throne. He's in sovereign control of all things. Amen and amen. Our Father and our God, how we thank you and how we praise you that you have given us a picture a revelation of your place upon the throne. Oh, Father, may you give us grace as your people to see this. In the day in which we live and in the experiences that we're going through, and we are going through some very difficult times, we pray, O oh God, that you would give us a sight of that throne, that you would give us grace as a church to walk in the light of the sovereign rule and reign of God over our lives. We pray that you would impress it upon our hearts by your Spirit. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I'll ask you to turn with me to hymn number 94, and we will sing that hymn, Whate'er My God Ordains Is Right, before our benediction. 
hymn number 94. Let's stand together as we sing. Let me read our benediction. We praise our holy and righteous God that he is in sovereign control of all things. Hebrews 13 and verse 20. 
Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you perfect in every good work to do his will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. 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 Let us go in peace. God bless your fellowship.